system. Thank you. All right. Well, welcome to Advent. My name is James. If, you, if we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary. We have a four-week series. Uh, Advent, you guys, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with Advent. What does Advent mean but an anticipation of a notable person, event, or thing happening in the future? And in this case, we're talking about four weeks, going back to even the uh, 300s A.D., it's the first time we have evidence of people celebrating, Christians, just like you and me, uh, celebrating a time, a season before the celebration of Christmas, where the God sent his only son into the world as a gift, that they've been preparing their hearts as we are going to prepare our hearts afresh to welcome the baby Jesus, who obviously wasn't just meant to stay as a baby, but grew up, grew up with a sinless life, grew up giving his life for all of us. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at four aspects of Advent over the next four weeks. And this week we're covering hope. So we're going to show a video to start out with, describing the first week of hope. And then in the next three weeks, we're going to look at peace, love, and then joy before Christmas this year. So let's go ahead and watch this Bible Project video on hope. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better, but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. 
It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kava for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope. And they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the elpis of glory. In both cases, this elpis is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. Okay, the Fittler family, you guys come up and light the first week of our Advent wreath down here on the table in front of us. There's candles. Uh, again, according to tradition, it's very typical for this to be the case, where a candle is lit for each one of the Sundays in anticipation of God's gift of Jesus. They're going to read an accompanying scripture as well. So here are the Fittlers. Welcome them, if you will. Here you guys go. Hi. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So as they light this candle, it's to remind us primarily that Jesus came as the light of the world, that he would dispel darkness, that darkness within people and without in our circumstances in our world would be dispelled, ultimately fulfilled in his coming again and reigning and ruling as Savior and King forever and ever. So this is what these first, as we look at hope this morning, we're really unpackaging that in light of him being the light of the world, coming in to invade us from the inside out in transforming us to be light as well for this world. We're called the, you know, Jesus said himself, the light isn't put, or lamp isn't put under a basket, but it's put on a lampstand so you could give light to the whole room. 
whole place where you exist is for you to shine the light of Christ. So as we celebrate that this week, thank you, Fittler family. That's what we're looking at. That's what we're examining in our own hearts is how great is that light? How are we allowing Jesus to shine forth uh, through our lives together, individually as well as in families, as well as with our, our friends, and especially during this holiday season where we have a chance to be light, no matter how young or no matter how old in our world. So that's why that first candle is to be lit this morning. So just looking at this, if you kids have a sheet where you're filling in the blank, I'm going to give some of those answers along the way. So make sure you stay with us and pay attention. And the first one being this hope definition, a common definition, anticipating the future that's better than the present. Everybody said amen? I mean, as good as a, as amazing experience as we can have, there's always this understanding in the Christian faith that there's something better around the bend. There's something of a morning to an evening. There's something of the long night of the soul that gets relief with the morning coming. The watchmen at the tower waiting all night for the Lord to be uh, protecting the city. There's something better on its way. And you guys, how, how many of us forget that on a day-to-day basis, that there's something better on the way? Especially in the trials that we go through, amen? There's something better on the way. And it's not just something, it's our Savior, Jesus himself, coming soon. He said, come quickly, Lord, amen, to end this Bible that we have. So what is these, these words in the video? There's two words. For hope in the Old Testament, we're going to be looking at that. Yakal, to wait for, like Noah waited for the waters to receive. There's a waiting, but it's not a waiting like at just first glance you would think of waiting. Waiting with the understanding that there's something happening soon. It's coming. It's an anticipation more than just an empty wait, if you will. You can wait and be bored and look at your watch and think, man, when am I going to get to the place where I want to be? Or look at the calendar and mark the days off in wonder and, and anticipation of some future event and kind of forget it. But, but biblical hope is one, and this version is to say, I'm waiting for something, but I'm very confident that it's going to come to pass. The next word is kava, which you're, as the video said, there's, there's a, a root word here for cord. When you pull a cord and you let go, what happens to that cord? If you let go of a cord, it's going, to, it's going to be from the expanse to the retracting. And it's going to do that where you're just anticipating something's going to happen. It's that same kind of anticipation in that word where you're looking for something and you're working, looking for it patiently. Now, this is something in brief, y'all, that, that really Israel had to become good at. They had to wait. Think of the Old Testament stories. Think about any story that comes to mind, whether it be uh, in Egypt or even Abraham having to wait for a son. Wasn't there this element of waiting all along in each and every story you can think of? Think of people in Israel being in exile in Babylon and waiting for the restoration of Jerusalem and their homeland. There was always this anticipation that was there, and the longer they had to wait, the longer it was tested. You see, a lot of us today have to go through testing of how long we're willing to wait for something we're confident is going to take place. You with me? This is all throughout the scriptures. And this kava and this yakal, this is an, an indicative of what we're talking about today. So we're talking about hope. But if you have nothing at the end of hope that you're confident in, you're just wishful thinking. You're just trying to be positive. You're trying to be somebody who is a, is a glass half full type of person. 
But when something is true and faithful and at the end of your hope and your waiting that you're confident in, it's a totally, completely life-changing attitude and composition from the soul. Saying, I know as long as my circumstances as they are, they may not even change for the better. But I'm confident in this, that I have a Savior Jesus who came to this world as the light of the world, and he will come again. And I'm confident in this, that he who came first is coming again because he said he will. So it's a whole lot different when you have to wait, when you're confident in something, even when your circumstances don't change necessarily. They could, and God does answer prayer in certain things. But if they don't, it's okay because that cord is being tensed. It's being pulled on. And it, one day, it's going to be let go, and it's going to retract, and it's going it's to happen. And we're anticipating that with our Savior who promised to come back after he what? Rose from the grave. Very much answering that, that, that yakal and that kavah of, of you're waiting, people, you're waiting for deliverance, for a child, for the Savior himself to come into the world, but I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to see it happen. So saints, even today, in this season, we're waiting for Christmas. Kids, you're waiting for Christmas. You're probably already excited about that day coming, and it's going to seem like eternity till you get there, right? But Christmas will come unless the Lord comes back, which is even more exciting. But it'll happen. It'll happen, and that's why we're faithful to the Lord. Let's look at Psalm 130. We have a couple scriptures, and I want to take a look after I read this psalm of one in the Old Testament that really has this kind of uh, it's, it's full of anticipation and hope. But the first one is Psalm 130, one of my favorite verses. Look at this, these two words as an uh, example here. I wait or kavah for the Lord, my soul kavahs. And in his word I do hope, yakal. And then verse 7 of 130, O Israel, hope, yakal. And this is imperative uh, tense. And what does that mean? Essentially, when yakal is used here, O Israel, hope in the Lord, this is a commandment. It's a commandment. The psalmist is saying, I command you, essentially, to hope and wait in anticipation for the Lord. It's not like, hey, guys, I got a feel-good story for you today. You may want to use this in your life. It's like, no, this is imperative. This is a commandment. This is saying hope, 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 because it's coming. God is going to be faithful. Hope in the Lord, Israel, you, God's people, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. Beautiful, beautiful thing. So as I read earlier, the scripture in Isaiah, I want to look at this and break this down. Very popular passage. Many of us uh, quote this very passage in this season of Christmas. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given through the prophet Isaiah. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Go to the next slide. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. So go back to the previous slide, Pete. This is a, everybody familiar with this passage? Still getting a little feedback. It's okay. We'll ignore it for now, okay? For us, a child is born. So the prophet Isaiah is saying, and everybody in Israel knows to this day, this is a messianic psalm or, or a passage from the prophet Isaiah. It says, for there's going to be a child, this is looking back, before Jesus was given, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, that is very important idiom right there. The government is actually, it's, it's very much 
uh, we consider it government, but it, it has a more powerful rulership, kingly, lordship aspect. That this child, this child, get that, child and rulership don't go together. But this king is going to arrive on the scene, and the government, the rulership, the, the kingdoms of the world and in heaven itself will be upon his shoulder. And that word for shoulder is the neck, right between the shoulders. And what goes right between the shoulders, if you're, gonna, if you're a weightlifter, I'm not a weightlifter anymore. That's where the weight goes, right here, because you can bear a burden right here between the shoulders. And so what's between the shoulders of the child that's going to be given? Everything. All authority, all rulership. And who's able to hold that up? Well, the New Testament, even the last book in the Bible, it talks about the lamb that was slain for our redemption. He's able to carry the, the weight, which is really the sin of the whole entire world, upon his shoulders. And he's able to redeem those who have said, take a hike to God. He's able to take a sinner and transform them from the inside out, and it's right there on his shoulders. And Jesus himself is able to bear that burden and bear it so well that he could save all of mankind by his actions. That's what we're talking about. And Isaiah's saying, wait, wait. Kavah, Yaakov, this is going to happen. The government's going to be on this child's shoulder, a son. It'll be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful. There should be a comma. I left it out. Not on purpose. Wonderful in of itself. I used to think, oh, it's just an adjective of God. It's just one, he's wonderful. But there's so much more to that word. And I'll try and be brief here, but wonderful is essentially, there's something that's full of wonder. It is a person. It is a thing. It is something that people stand back in awe of. It is something that, that, that connotates a miracle. A miracle is coming. It's wonderful in and of itself. You with me? Wonderful in of itself. A miracle is going to happen. He's going to be of a virgin for one. But next is counselor. You're going to be able to, to go to this, this person, this child, and you're going to receive counsel. So you have rulership, authority. You have a miracle. You have someone who's, who's able to give us counsel and guide our lives. Mighty God. Mighty is just like it says, but it has a warrior, a victor, a champion next to God. El, which is the everlasting father, goes on and on, has no end. There's, this everlasting is not just an adjective, but it talks about a border. There's borders to things like countries and, and rulership and, 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 and a reign. Everlasting has none of that. It's unlimited in its scope. Isn't that wonderful? Father, not just God we can't approach, but Father brings his children to himself. And the prince of Shalom, the prince, that, that rulership, that royalty, that authority, and, and, it's, and, and he's one that dictates his kingdom. He, he wraps it around this thing called Shalom, which is a picture of being whole and complete and at rest and at perfect peace. Isn't that wonderful to type, kind of dig into that a little bit? You have the God, the miracle, sending a miracle of his son. You have his son being able to hold the, the burdens of the whole world and forever and ever it shall be. You have someone who's mighty and a counselor and the prince of peace, and that's who they're anticipating. And Israel looking forward to this Messiah is longing, longing for this day to come when he will be sent. And now us, 2,000 years after the event transpired, that we're looking at the light of the world in our rearview mirror, if you will, is to say this, that he came as fulfilling all of these things. Did he not? 
Did Jesus fulfill all these things, you guys? Is he the one that's able to carry your burden? Is he the one that's able to forgive all of your sin, past, present, and future? Is he the one that's able to do that for the whole entire world all at once in the one act of Calvary? Is he able to be your counselor through the Holy Spirit? Is he able to bring you peace and shalom and wholeness from the inside out? Is God able to do that for you? He's able to do that for me and the whole entire world. So this hope, this hope in the scriptures, our hope is not something on things getting better necessarily, but on a person. His name is Jesus. Man, I'm getting ready for Christmas. You guys getting ready for Christmas? We're not going to read the Matthew account. We'll save that for future weeks for sake of time. But I do want to jump ahead and say to the book of Revelation, and we'll finish with this. The birth of Christ preceded his death for us. His resurrection proves God's faithfulness and power to do what he promises. And, and, in, and in two places in Revelation, these two chapters describe this Jesus, this child, the son that was given as he will obviously grown into adulthood, taken the sin upon himself, risen and, and ascended, I should say, to the right hand of the father where he awaits his return to take his people unto himself. And in this Revelation 5.13, this is who you're worshiping. So when you see the manger scenes this season, out and about, when you, when you contemplate the, the Savior coming to the world, I want you to also put these scriptures, if you will, over that manger scene, the, the place where animals lay and where they reside. That's where our Savior of this magnitude was laid. And it says, And every creature which is, in, which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, such are in the sea, and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. There's something that we're, we're called in our place right now to hope in. Surely, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. And all we say in response is, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's stand together. As we say that together, to him. We're, there's a few instructions that how we're going to close this morning. What I want all of us to do, we're going to have to find some space. We have the communion elements up here. What I'd love to take place is for us to prepare our hearts this Advent season for the coming of the reality that Jesus came in the form of a babe lying in a manger, ultimately give his life. And I want to celebrate that through communion because that's ultimately where that baby became a man who took upon the sin upon his shoulders right here. It's a celebrate in the communion. So if you are a Christian, you are welcome to this table. If you haven't come to lay your life down as the wise men did before the child king, if you haven't come to that place, the communion table really is closed for you, but it's not a, it's not a forever close. It's actually a close with an invitation calling you and beckoning you to the table where we, we remember the broken body and blood of Jesus on our behalf. And if you come and say, Jesus, forgive me. I've spent my whole life, perhaps, away from you, denying the lordship and the kingship and the fact that you are the prince of peace, you are the mighty God. If, if you turn from your sin and actually come to say, even this morning could be the very first, if you will, Christmas for you in its truest sense, you're welcome to come if you come laying your life down before him and receiving his free gift of salvation through Calvary's cross. 